0: beautiful day out at little beaver brewery at five finance drive sitting here with two of my favorite people to chat to jeremy and brad thanks for coming out guys
1: absolutely what are you drinking meet- there brad uh it's uh, it, it's the closest thing to an ipa i don't know what the actual name of it is but it's very good okay Good. hazy something yeah i think that's that might yeah be, uh, it might be the wayne Bowes. i always
0: enjoy that one out here too uh, i've been focusing more on this new menu that they have here uh i feel like i've tried most of the things on the menu and now i've got a whole new set of challenges in front of me so i like the it. wraps did you try one
2: no i haven't it starts yeah. tuesday
0: oh it starts tuesday yeah, yeah i couldn't get a sneak peek so right after, i don't have that power right after you uh hear this you should be able to get it chimichurri steak wrap I bet that will be good um what else some pizzas beaver supreme pizza That is a lot of things on that pizza garlic marinara pepperoni sausage bell peppers onions pepperoni, mushrooms mozzarella parmesan cheese yeah so I for mean,
2: those that knew the old menu you know the front and back now it's front and back but there's like three columns so considerably yeah. more food they took some things off that weren't you know big sellers but added a lot of stuff sliders on there i saw that too oh the sliders not too yeah, oh, yeah like there's four different sliders slider
0: flight yep i'm all about that so okay We'll need to come for lunch next time. I uh, wanted to say a quick thank you before we start, too. Um, I, uh, I, we have, thanks to our patrons, I was able to buy some uh, fuzzy covers for the top of the microphones. I was talking to Ed C., who does the uh, Keep Your Day Job podcast. I asked him how the, he thought the sound quality went one, one podcaster to one po- podcaster. And uh, he said, it sounds okay, but maybe you could get one of those fuzzy things for the top of the mic. So this is the level of sophistication we're bringing to <laughs> the podcasting like game. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. Just take one extra little fuzzy thing and step up. And Let's you're put. wearing your Podbean shirt. <laughs> I am. <laughs> yep. so, uh, so we'll see. We'll see how it's going. But anyway, out with those out of the way, I uh, so wanted to hear what you've been up to. Brad, we talked to you in the election edition when you were running for normal town council. We said on the election recap, one of our big disappointments because Justin, Jeremy, and I all really liked what you represented, but um, didn't really fall into one of those big tribes or groups, I guess. And uh, anyway, what, do you, what have you been doing?
1: Yeah, you know, and, and uh, actually, I have a very uh, positive attitude about the election. You know, I got to meet some great people. I think my newness to the area you know anytime you run for public office name recognition is kind of a big deal and i've only lived in normal for three years uh and plus with nine running for three spots uh, you know uh, at the end of the day the three incumbents uh ended up winning you know reelection. uh but it, it was a positive experience and you know i've uh, back um, throwing myself into uh, good government reform uh, efforts in Illinois and uh, my work at Bradley University with my leadership programs, and uh, so actually got to do a little bit of traveling in June for the first time in a while, which oh, was nice. Where'd you go? Uh, up to see family uh, in Minnesota and Wisconsin, uh, just drove. I'm still a little bit reluctant to get on an airplane but uh you know getting in a car and traveling about and seeing family was great yeah makes you appreciate it doesn't it yeah i haven't done it for a while absolutely yeah i was actually
0: trying to figure out i think this is the longest stretch of time in my entire life that i haven't been on an airplane i i uh was in atlanta when the whole lockdown started so it was march of uh, 2020 and uh so still going here, but um, yeah, I, I mean, including when I was a baby, my parents, uh, I was born in Bermuda and my parents put me on a plane and flew me over the Netherlands uh, when I was like a year old. So I have not had a two year stretch, not on an airplane and I'm feeling kind of uh, a little claustrophobic, but yeah, I'm not really quite ready to get into a big flying capsule with a bunch of people breathing all over the place yet. I, I think it's okay. We but. did a vacation to Colorado probably a month ago, and that was
2: first. I was like you. I was uh, in Florida in March when the pandemic shutdown happened. Oh yeah. Flew flew in Colorado a month ago, and I got my first work trip. First uh, work business trip coming up in December, so that was a little like. Oh, okay, that's
0: that's coming back. Yeah, it's so, coming. Yeah. yeah. Are people wearing masks on planes now? Oh, yeah. Do you guys know? Yeah. Required. Yeah, they're required. Yeah, Whew. that'd be tough to go overseas. Like if you had to spend <laughs> seven, eight hours on a on a plane with a mask on, <laughs> it'd feel a little rough. Yeah. Anyway, um, your uh, your leadership program at Bradley is pretty cool. Can you uh, talk
1: a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I think it is very unique. Um, so I direct the Institute for Principal Leadership in Public Service. I know that's a lot of words, uh, but we focus on trying to develop bipartisan, civil, uh, collaborative leaders in the public service arena. Uh, And I think I'm the only college professor in America that actually teaches a course on bipartisan leadership as being the most effective way to govern. Uh, When we hold national public policy symposiums on the big issues of the day, and our next one is going to be on tackling climate change in the rural Midwest on November 5th, Hmm. we bring in um, not only subject matter experts, but we always bring in bipartisan federal and state legislative people uh, because we want everything we do to be balanced. Um, And so uh, we are a little bit unique and um, the leadership approach uh, that we uh, believe in. Uh, and what's what's interesting is that this generation of students uh, has only seen the polarization and the uh, partisan fighting. And when they understand that there's a different way to lead, they're actually attracted to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, the new generation actually gives me hope that maybe one day we can have a different kind of politics here in America. So, let's talk about uh, nonpartisan. Do you say nonpartisan or bipartisan? Bipartisan. So, bipartisan, okay. Yeah, and, and there's a big difference. I, I really want to get into that. Yeah, Bipartisan means that you still belong to a party. You still have... Um, deep beliefs. but you realize that in order to accomplish uh, legislation or public policy that you have to find common ground with the other political party, uh, much like what we're seeing today in Congress with the infrastructure bill, uh, the Senate actually passed a bipartisan infrastructure bill. It remains to be seen whether the House will go along with that. Um, But nonpartisan is taking parties out of the equation. Mm -hmm. Bipartisan, you recognize people do come from political parties, but you realize that working together for the common good uh, is important. Yeah. Is there anybody that you... Who do you think of now when you think of a, a politician
0: who... Exemplifies that at any level. Do you have a? Do you
1: have someone that comes to mind who's doing that well? Today it's hard to find. Um, I would say Mitt Romney in the Senate uh, is somebody that comes to mind. Um, you know, there there's others. Uh, you know, my former boss, Congressman Ray LaHood was very bipartisan uh, in his leadership approach. Bob Michael, uh, who was before him from central Illinois, was very bipartisan. And uh, yeah, I mean, his, so much
2: so that Obama put him on transportation and it's the Republican, right, the cabinet, yeah,
1: guess, so. it, yeah, exactly. I mean, um, and what's interesting is when Obama became elected to the U.S. Senate, in Illinois, uh, the week after his election, he reached out to our office and said, I'd I'd like to come down and meet with Congressman Ray LaHood because I appreciate his leadership approach in Congress. And so they immediately formed this strong working relationship when they they were both in Congress, one in the Senate and one in the House. And I was not at all surprised when uh, President-elect Obama picked Ray LaHood is Secretary of Transportation. They had they had a very strong working relationship and personal relationship. Um, you know, the, the truth is, as, as Ray would say, you know, there are no Republican bridges or Democratic highways or, you know, Republican trains or, you know, infrastructure transportation is about as... <laughs> Non, uh, you know, it really should be taken out of politics. Uh, it's just important for uh, our country and our state and our communities to uh, to have good infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, there
0: was a uh, there was a professor I had at Illinois State when I was there. I was a TA for him for two or three semesters, Ron Pope is his name. I just looked him up. He's a professor emeritus now. I don't know if he's still teaching, but he did a politics one-on-one class. And what I loved about, I think it's exemplifying what you're talking about. I love the way that he taught because when I was helping students with their papers, half of them would say, well, he's just giving me a bad grade because I'm liberal and he's conservative. The other half of them are saying, well, he just doesn't like my arguments because he's conservative and I'm liberal. And you never knew, even I, working with him, I didn't know what side he fell on. But whatever position someone took, he could come and argue the other side to help get him to think more deeply about what they're talking about. Are you making a convincing argument that appeals to somebody who disagrees with you? Or are you just preaching to the choir with your arguments? And pretty much the whole point of that class was just to understand that in order to be effective in politics, you need to understand and be able to communicate to people who disagree with you. And uh, that's why I wanted to, that's why I worked with you, right? I loved it.
1: Yeah, well, you know, as I tell my students at Bradley, uh, as far as I know, neither political party has a lock on wisdom. Uh, so you can always learn something from the other side. Yeah. And, you know, we always start off in my bipartisan leadership class going through the landmark 1964 Civil Rights Act because... Senate Minority Leader Ever Dirksen, who is from central Illinois, played the key role in getting that civil rights bill passed. And at the end of the day, he got 27 of 33 Republican U.S. Senators to vote to end the longest filibuster in American history, uh, which led to the passage of the Civil Rights Act. Now, how many people think that a Republican is responsible for the Civil Rights Act getting passed? Not too many. Uh, And when students learn, um, they're surprised. Now, it also took strong Democratic presidential leadership, Kennedy before he was assassinated, and then Lyndon Johnson afterwards. uh, And and the Democratic leadership in the Senate had to give Everett Dirksen respect uh, and work closely with him to accomplish all of this. But you know, back, back when that 1964 Civil Rights Act was passed, members of Congress voted party line 65% of the time. Today, members of Congress vote party line 92% of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so huge difference uh, between um, what we see happening in Congress today and back when the Civil Rights Act was passed. What do you attribute that change to? Yeah, I was going to gonna ask the same thing. I,
2: I, I have an answer, but I'd, I want to hear your answer. Well, I guess I'm the same.
1: Yeah, there's several reasons. Um, you know, the polarization in American politics, uh, I believe, has been caused, uh, one, because of redistricting. Because both the Republicans and, and Democrats in different states have drawn these congressional districts in a way to strongly favor one party or the other. So what that results in is more extreme candidates from both parties getting elected to Congress. I also blame it on cable TV and talk radio and uh, the fact that people in social media, people only listen to things that are in line with their viewpoints. They don't consider other um, viewpoints, um, so I think there's been, and, and I also think the influx of money in politics. Um, so I think our political elective process uh, has gotten worse, and I don't. I also think that the media and social media uh, has contributed. To the polarization we see in politics. So if this was like Family
2: Feud, you would have just hit names. There's one and two for me. I absolutely think it's districting. I absolutely think it's media polarization are the two biggest. Um, and and just adding on that, the frustration I see with the districting is it seems that if you do get say a John McCain, you're talking about Dirksen, and I and my mind went to yeah, yeah. there's 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 even more recent examples and a John McCain an easy one here of um, clearly bipartisan clearly yeah. yeah. a- almost named Lieberman as a Democrat as his vice president famously right so and worked with him a ton um, he, if you have a moderate uh, from either side of the aisle it seems like those people get attacked ten times more anymore so uh, you know it's uh, say what you will Roddy Davis love him hate him whatever Is in a 50-50 in a thrown up dis- uh, throw up district you know thrown up district. That's great, great language there. But, um, no offense. Y- you know, suddenly becomes one of the most targeted attacks because is in the middle or is versus uh, some of the safer districts. And I get the strategy of it, right? But you've drawn those districts so polarized that um, it becomes a battle between the extremes and a moderate wing in the party. Mm-hmm. And everybody targets the moderate from both sides and, and kind of weeds them out now. And,
1: yeah. Well, you, you mentioned. Uh, Congressman Rodney Davis, and, and a lot of people in central Illinois don't realize this, but he's consistently ranked as one of the uh, highest bipartisan members of Congress, uh, which uh, I give him a lot of credit for. Um, you know, what what moderates worry about is having somebody from their own party Run against them in a primary. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we can and, look north to Adam Kinzinger for, for that one, and um, and that happens all the time. Uh, and it happens on both the Republican side and the Democratic side. You know, if you're too moderate of a Democrat, you, they're going to run a progressive against you. Uh, and if you're too moderate of a Republican, they're going to, you know, run a very conservative uh, Republican candidate against you. Uh, But again, if the districts were drawn more fairly, more balanced, uh, then I believe um, more moderate uh, moderates would be elected to uh, both Congress and state legislature. And, uh, you know, I'm in the process, hopefully one of these days we'll, we'll finish it, but Uh, of writing a book called The Middle Majority. Uh, And the reality is the largest political group in America is independents. July 2021 Gallup poll shows that 43% consider themselves independents, 26% consider themselves republicans, and 27% Consider themselves Democrat, and out of that group, uh, 41% lean Republican and uh, 45% lean Democrat of the Independents. But what what I believe is that the um, and and I am a fan of political participation, no matter where you're on, at on the spectrum. So I'm not giving yeah. anybody a hard time totally. here. But the the conservative Republicans and the liberal Democrats, they vote pretty much 100% in our elections. The problem is that independent, more middle group, they don't participate in our political process at as high of a level. I mean, even in the 2020 presidential election, we had 65% voter turnout, which was a great improvement, but it's still 65%. Mm -hmm. And if more of that independent group would get involved in our political process, uh, I think we might start ele- start electing different people to Congress uh, and to our state legislature. Uh, so. Um, but, but, but
2: part of that is, is really the districting, right? Because, like, you look at the state of Illinois, and sorry to jump in, but you look at state of Illinois, what was it, two thirds of the. Uh, Incumbents ran unopposed last year, right? And it's it's not because they're doing such a fabulous job from either side. I mean, it's because the districts are so drawn that way that even if sixty-five percent of voters jump in, they have a one choice or they have two extreme choices. Uh,
1: And and that's why fair maps uh, is so important. So you know, we've been pushing for an independent commission to draw fair congressional and state legislative maps for over a decade. I co-chair Change Illinois, which is the statewide group. Uh, that's been leading this effort. In other states like California and Arizona, where they've actually passed redistricting reform, uh, what's ended up ha- happening is there's been a huge changeover in who's elected to both the state legislature and Congress. And you don't you see a lot of incumbents deciding to retire, uh, and you see new blood uh, coming into the political process. Uh, bottom line is it creates fairer elections. And if if the election process is fair, uh, new people are going to be willing to throw their hat in the ring. If the process is rigged, um, people are not going to want to throw their hat. Yeah. A lot, of, it, wasted, it, it, a lot in the, of wasted votes, right? I say so you think of redistricting as... If, well,
0: you're, if you're in a 70-30 district, then... The 30% that's always going to lose are wasting their votes, and also the 20% that's, that's more than you need to win that, they're wasted as well, too. Whereas if it's 50-50, you got a really good chance of, um, uh, of, of your vote actually mattering, right? Um, motivation I, I, I so
2: i would push back on that because your vote still will matter um i mean you could have an extremely right-wing candidate a moderate candidate if that moderate candidate's willing and able to capture an appeal to that other side and bring them in and win the, so i think of a, a cinema down in arizona as a for example kind of took that strategy a, a little bit and is now taking heat for being a moderate democrat in republican arizona right um but i th- you still get a menu choice of uh, AOC and Manchin or Ted Cruz and Adam Kinzinger or whatever. Your menu choice is still restricted, right? I mean, yeah.
1: And, and I think another and you thing
2: you get those 50 50 districts, you tend to get more moderate candidates. And I think
1: that's really where your yeah, point is. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the other thing that's a big factor in all of this is our primary system. You know, if I had a magic wand, we'd have an open primary system in Illinois. The problem is the independents; they don't want to go into a primary, a polling place, and have to declare either as a uh, Democrat or as a Republican. They they just don't want to do. And it. that's not common outside of Illinois. There's there's a lot of other states that have open primaries, yeah. where you don't have to declare, right. it, and you can actually vote. For whoever you think is the best candidate from either a political party or a third party, and and go, and, and bounce around in, in who you vote for in the primaries. Maine Again, has the right choice voting, so you can just right. go, go through. Them. Yeah. So I, I you know, there's there's a lot of flaws in my view in Illinois in our current uh, political process, uh, redistricting, uh, closed primary, and uh, so. Um, Let's talk a
0: little bit about what you think characterizes the the moderates then because you, you could you could interpret a moderate being somebody who doesn't really have strong principles they're op- they're opportunistic they're just gonna go with whatever the polls say right they or maybe they're populist right like they don't they just care about getting elected or power they don't really care how they do it um, So it could either be like, Interpreted as being really watered down, or it could be interpreted as being more like, aggressively political. But I don't think either one of those are yeah. characterize that so, fairly. So, 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 kind of tease yeah. that out a little
1: bit, if you would. So, let me give you a specific example um, because I was chief of staff to Congressman Ray LaHood for 10 years. Ray was one of the most conservative members of Congress when it came to social issues because of his Roman Catholic beliefs. So 100% pro-life. But he was very um, open-minded when it came to economic policies, when it came to uh, immigration reform. Uh, He was one of the bipartisan co-sponsors of the Innocent Protection Act, which led to all of the uh, death row inmates uh, being allowed to have DNA testing and adequate legal counsel. Uh, Ray had an excellent working relationship with uh, Senator Durbin, with Senator Barack Obama. He realized that he could accomplish more by working Constructively and productively across political parties for the good of central Illinois, for the good of the state and good of the country. So the, the idea that a moderate is wishy-washy or doesn't have strongly held beliefs is just hogwash. Um, and uh, so... Uh, but, you know, it, it's a different um, leadership approach for sure. And, uh, you know, I... I would look at the productivity of Congress uh, over the years that we've seen more polarization and extremism and compare it back to those years when 65% members of Congress were more independent and statesmanlike and would uh, consider voting, you know, uh, not go line and step with their political party, but actually think for themselves independently. And say that those years of Congress were um, way more productive, uh, and actually got a lot more done for uh, the American people uh, than what we've seen in the last uh, 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah, in those days, you didn't need a gang of eight to get an
2: infrastructure bill, or gang of 10, or whatever, um, because there was a there was a fine gold McCain around every corner, or Tip O'Neill, or you know what, right? But now it's you have to have Cinnamon Mansion in the room, you have to have Collins and. You, know, you have to have those people;
1: yeah. otherwise, nothing happens. That's right. And uh, so, I—I I, I know I'm sounding very negative here, but I—I do believe that the political pendulum can swing back in a more positive direction. It just takes time. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, it's one of the reasons I love what I do at Bradley. I see this new generation of students, and I have many of my students that have gone on to elected office and are in uh, positions of influence and public service. And I know for a fact they have a different leadership approach uh, than what we've seen. Um, So I I do think um, maybe eventually we can uh, turn things back in a better, better direction. That's one of the reasons I I do,
0: that we do the podcast in the way that we do as well, too. Um, the most frequent question I get is, why aren't you, basically, why aren't you being meaner to people who aren't right? right that, that's sort of the... By right, you mean
2: me. politically right?
0: or No, just weren't. <laughs> <laughs> well, that. But who aren't correct, right? Like, why aren't you being more hardline with somebody who is saying stuff that's not correct? And my responses are twofold. One, if I'm really informed about something and somebody says something I don't agree with, I will discuss back with them, but I will do it politely and I will say, like you did to me, Jeremy, like, oh, let me, let me challenge you a little bit on what you said there, right? You can disagree without being like the talking heads or like talk radio or like cable news where you're just, um, you know, being imp- <laughs> being impolite to the person, right? There's no reason to be impolite when you disagree. Um, and the second reason is I, I'm not an expert in everything. And so if somebody's saying something about an issue that doesn't sound right to me, I want to ask them follow-up questions to understand where they're coming from better. Like, I want to, I want to hear their information, hear their arguments, hear their evidence, and then I'll consider that and think I'm right. But my initial reaction is not, I'm going to shut that down, and like, they're not on the same team as me. So equivalent to like, if I'm a Cubs fan and you're a Cardinals fan, and you start trying to convince me that the Cardinals are better, and I'm going to argue that the Cubs are better, right? Like, it's, it's not that kind of dynamic. So. That's one of the reasons we do it. Like We do this like we do because I believe people just deserve to be heard and you can
1: hear what they have to say and see if it makes any sense or not. You know? Yeah, I, I think mutual respect and I think listening, you know, really listening uh, to other people's views mm-hmm. are critically important. And, uh, you know, I... I Give you an example here. Um, this goes back a number of years, but Rush Limbaugh uh, devoted one of his radio shows to bashing Bob Michael and Ray LaHood. And uh, I didn't listen to the show, but because of my role at Bradley and because they're both Bradley alumni, I had a bunch of people, you know, reach out to me. So I decided to get a verbatim transcript of the radio show that day, and sure enough, Rush had said that Bob Michael spent more time on the golf course than he ever did legislating and called him a loser. And, um, so I decided I was going to write an op-ed. Uh, and the op-ed was entitled Rush Needs to uh, Apologize to Bob Michael. And in my op-ed, uh, I reminded Rush that, you know, the entire time that Ronald Reagan was president, the Republicans were in a significant minority in the House of Representatives, and the only reason that any of Reagan's policies got passed was largely to Bob Michael's ability to reach across the political aisle and get blue dog conservative or blue dog Democrat um, to support uh, Reagan's policies. And then... Fortunately, I have a good memory, and I'm also a good researcher, and I remembered that the last thing Reagan did as president was bestow upon Bob Michael the Presidential Citizen's Medal of Honor in a White House ceremony the week before he left office. So I went to the Reagan archives and got a transcript of Reagan's speech, and Reagan said he would not have been able to accomplish anything during his presidency without Bob Michael's great legislative strengths. And that same summer, Rush Limbaugh had—Rush Limbaugh loves Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was the 100th anniversary of uh, Reagan's birthday that same summer. And so my last line to Rush was, so Rush, you either need to refute your beloved— president ronald reagan or you need to apologize to bob michael (laughs) yeah and uh, and 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 it got all kinds of play all over the internet and got published uh widely um again this gets back to our other point that we made earlier uh social media is enter or, or talk radio is entertainment uh it's not factual and uh, so uh, people need to do their own homework. Um, they need to check different sources uh, about things. Because um, neither talk radio or social media is going to give you an objective, balanced view of what's really going on. Yeah, you, you can't leave the cliffhanger. Did he apologize? Uh, I (laughs) know.
2: Dang. Oh, I thought it was going there.
0: (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, I think people have listened to that that tenor of speech and that style, and I think that's led a lot of people to think that's what political speech sounds like. So you've got people trying to mimic that on the left. I think Rachel Maddow tries to take a lot of the approach that he took. The, The times I hear her, I haven't heard her a lot, but she reminds me of... You know, let's let's talk about all the dumb things the other group does and how horrible they are, and let's fill up an hour with that, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that's part of, in my view, why Trump was successful. It's because people hear Rush Limbaugh, and they think that's what political speech sounds like. But then they go, well, George Bush isn't talking like that. Mitt Romney's not talking like that. John McCain's not talking like that. Like, they're all fake, right? And then Trump comes up, he sounds very much
1: like Rush Limbaugh in his... Um, Aggressiveness is assertiveness, and then yeah, it, I, I, uh, I think it was a perfect storm. Um, you know, Hillary Clinton had a lot of baggage, mm-hmm. um, and I'll and i candor say that me being as political as I am, I didn't vote for president in that election, yeah, I and I didn't want to write in somebody that I, I mean, I voted. I just skipped the presidential ballot question because I didn't feel comfortable with either of the presidential choices. Um, Yeah. But, um, you know... uh, There was an interesting moment, though, where I was hopeful
0: that people in the liberal bubble, such as myself, where I was at that time, I was very much in the liberal bubble. I didn't think there was any way... I would say to people... Like, why are you even paying attention to Donald Trump? He's not going to win. It's just the media sensationalism. It's just during the primary. Everyone should just ignore him, and he'll go away. It's just a publicity stunt. He probably wants to, like, just get his name brand out there. He holds no appeal to anybody. And then I remember when Ted Cruz dropped out, I was like, oh, crud. Like, I was totally wrong on that one. And then I went into the general election. Well, I guess Hillary Clinton's president now. Like, oh, it's cool. We'll have our first woman president foregone conclusion, and the fact that Trump would even be competitive, let alone win, is so completely out of my realm of understanding. So what I said is, to your point, I need to to listen to people more. I clearly am out of touch with what the experience of half of the population is. I need to Talk to conservatives, I need to talk to Republicans and, and, and get what's going on here because I have a very limited worldview and it's interfering with my ability to understand reality.
2: Right? And that thinking is what makes you different than mo- the, the moderate thinking, right? Of like, I got to understand the other view because the, otherwise the tribalism is like, okay, we got to double down and they, they did dirty tactics, so we got to do double the dirty uh-huh, tactics and, uh-huh. and yeah, so yeah. weaponize it further.
1: So So, th- and I think this is a really important point. I think there has been a fairly significant political shift in this country. Um, And the shift is rural versus urban. Yeah, And uh, it was kind of interesting. I was having a conversation with uh, State Senator Dave Kaler, who if you look at the new state legislative maps, um, uh, potentially will represent the Bloomington Normal area as well as uh, the Peoria area. And he used to represent Fulton County, Canton, and and went out west. And that that used to be a fairly Democratic stronghold area. Um, Those rural areas have gone to the Republican Party. And so they intentionally, when they drafted these new maps, combined urban areas for Democratic candidates. Hmm. And uh, so. Which is the. And then on the other side of the coin,
0: that's what locally the Republicans and the McLean County Board were going to try to do is the opposite of that. If let's take little slices of Wilmington normal and combine it with rural areas so we can dilute the, the urban vote, right? Yeah. I mean, both yeah. sides have the same strategy they're approaching right. things with. They know what's going on. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but, I, but I do think that um, Trump tapped into something. When it came to rural Americans who feel that they've been left out mm-hmm. of the economy and and their lives have a, improve, have not improved, and um, so there is something to that. Uh, and uh, but I mean, and, and this will be the strongest statement I'll make today with you guys. But I think after January sixth. Um, I think Trump, uh, the idea that Trump can come back to life politically uh, isn't realistic. I, and, and I think that um, he, he can't erase how he acted that day. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, just, I just think, again, for that independent group of Americans who do have a lot to do with how elections um, election results go uh, I think he's forever lost them uh, politically for his future and so uh, I uh, um, anyway that's my two cents me, me personally
2: I, I hope so with him specifically um, and there's a strong statement but it, it's true um, but I'm done as far as uh, saying that he's you know, like Tyson did oh he won't win the primary he won't win the general. He won't be back after January 6th. He can't win if he does I'm done saying that. I've, I've been so shocked in the last three, four years of, oh, this, this race is absolutely going to end up at I mean, even local ones. I would not have, there was no way I was going to say the three incumbents in
1: normal council stayed on. None. Uh, so, especially with, with Trump. I, yeah, and, I, and I, w- I would say this, I, and I don't want to overstate what I said, I think Trump could be the Republican nominee uh, and I think he but, could win again. But I, I think that um, him winning a national election after January sixth is very, very dubious. Tyson's like, next subject, move on. <laughs> I'm
2: just,
0: yeah, I, uh, that was my, one of my big lessons from the local races was uh, I wrote down five lessons. I'm going to review them every two years. Don't make predictions because you don't know. Um, I'll even go there goes back the to the podcast. My, I'll go back to my my biggest moment of shame was when Obama was announcing in Springfield that he was going to run for president. And my friends were carpooling and they're like, hey, Barack Obama's going to announce he's running for president. Do you want to come with them?" And I was like, ah, oh, it's cold there's no way I'm going to stand outside for this guy. Like, I like him, but he's not going to win. There's no way we're going to elect a black guy. Like, like no, I'm not going to stand out in the cold to watch that. That's, you know, have fun. And then there, that went too. so I had like a pretty much a 100% failure rate in terms of my confidence and who's going to be president. So I, uh, I, I try to stand aside on that one and it, just watch it,
1: it. It's probably safer that way. Yeah, yeah.
0: So. Let's, let's turn. Uh,
2: you mentioned the state maps, and, and obviously, I think listeners know you've done a lot of work with that. Um, a lot of interesting stuff happening in the state. Not just what should we do as far as how should it be designed, but uh, a lot happening. Census data. Uh, you know, maps being drawn. New census data coming out. You want to walk through, kind of yeah. give everybody an update because yeah. you're, you're deep in the middle of some of this stuff.
1: Sure. Um, So your listeners need to understand that we're going through a totally unique uh, situation where the U.S. census data was so delayed uh, this time. Normally, the reason you do a census every 10 years is is to uh, get an accurate count of the population and the shifts that have occurred in states and and in in the nation. Um, And it's that census data that the legislators used to draw the new maps. Well, uh, there was a June 31st deadline for the Illinois General Assembly to draw the maps, but the census data didn't come out until mid-August. So uh, the democratically controlled state legislature decided they were going to use what was called American Community Service or ACS projected population data to draw the maps which has never been done in the past Uh, and because they have supermajority controls in both the Senate and the House they were able to pass those maps and then the governor signed them into law well then Subsequently, the Illinois Republicans and Malduff, which is um, a group that represents uh, Latino uh, citizens in Illinois, filed a lawsuit challenging the maps. Uh, which happens almost every single map process, regardless. Right, right. just to be fair. There's always
2: <clears throat> somebody's going to sue, but this one might actually have a chance, right?
1: Yeah, because it, it's never been decided right. by a court before. And uh, so the census data came out, and lo and behold, there were some real screw-ups in the maps that were passed by the state legislature. You're only supposed, at most legally, you're supposed to have a 10% deviation in population between state legislative districts. Well, there's some districts in Illinois that have a 30%-plus population deviation. And so the Republicans last week actually filed a motion for summary judgment, and the courts hasn't been ruled on yet. Um, but you know how the courts rule on this is going to be interesting. Meanwhile, and In summary judgment, so they could just throw the whole thing out and start over. They they if if the court would would grant the Republicans um, summary judgment, the court could make them go back to square one, and some would argue that because it's past the June 31st deadline, then it has to be a bipartisan commission that draws the maps. And this is where, when the bipartisan commission doesn't agree on maps, they draw a Republican or a Democratic name out of a hat uh, to decide who controls the map-drawing process. Um, So it's going to be really interesting. Uh, to see how this uh, plays out in the in the coming weeks, it's anybody's. <laughs> I have no idea. Now the the Democratic leaders are calling the General Assembly back for the last day in August to revise their maps based on the new census data. Uh, so um, there's just a lot of play right now, uh, and uh, it's anybody's guess as to how this is going to. Unfold or, or play out. Um, but the sad thing from our uh, viewpoint, uh, you know, we represent a huge diverse coalition. Uh, Change Illinois does from good government groups to minority groups, but the Illinois Farm Bureau to the Illinois State Chamber of Commerce. Over two million Illinoisans are part of our diverse coalition. We've just been advocating for transparent uh, process, uh, a fair process. Obviously, we would love to turn over to an independent commission to draw the maps, but we're not going to get that done this go-round. But uh, the process is really horrible in Illinois, uh, and it's not in the best interest of the public. And uh, so... But what happens with the courts and with the maps, uh, it'll be very interesting to see. I know
2: one of the things many of my friends on the right would say for years was, you know, Madigan was kind of this evil genius level of map maker, right, that really, really, really effective at drawing maps that were beneficial to his party. And I, I know there was talk that when Madigan stepped down, okay, the process might be different this time because he, he's not there, he's not in charge. Um, from your experience, what ha, has there been a change? Is there a
1: change? Uh, yeah, it, I mean, you're shaking your head. I, yeah, it's been deeply disappointing. You know, um, Chris Welch, the new speaker, actually was a co-sponsor of Fair Maps. Uh, he wrote op-eds in favor of Fair Maps. Uh, he caved in. The governor promised that he would support um, an independent commission uh, and Fair Maps, and the governor caved in. Um, And uh, so uh, deeply disappointed. You know, we did believe once Madigan left the scene that maybe there might be a slight hope for a better outcome, Uh, but the uh, new leadership... um, has not followed through uh, on their past promises, uh, and uh, again, it's, it's the Illinois citizens who lose out uh, because of that. And, and to be fair, balanced here,
2: fair and balanced, but um, you know, it's again, like Tyson made the point earlier, it's not just one party. Both parties are doing the same thing.
1: No, when when, when when the Republicans in Illinois had had the majority control. Uh, They played games with the maps, too. Uh, So that's why we want to turn it over to an independent commission, uh, because both political parties, given the opportunity, uh, will draw maps that strongly favor their party. Is there a state, in your opinion, that that has it right or is the closest to... Yeah, California did a great job. Recently. uh, (laughs) they, They passed redistricting reform back in 2010. Uh, They have an independent commission draw their maps. Uh, It's totally changed the political landscape in California. And and importantly, and, and a lot of people don't connect the dots, but because they've had fairer elections, the political scientists have measured this. The moderation and the working on the important issues in California has improved significantly. Yeah. Once, uh, once you have redistricting reform, uh, Arizona is the same way. Um, it, this is all about good government and accountability, and um, it's hard to have accountability when uh, incumbents uh, run for re-election unchallenged because the districts are rigged. Well, and you you mentioned earlier. Um correct me if I'm wrong, California
2: has more of that open primary, where then the top two vote getters run against each other in the general election, and, and they can and often are members of the same party, and where one's more extreme and one's moderate,
1: right? Yeah. What's interesting, because depending on what state you're in, um, you know, a state can be controlled by the Democrats or by the Republicans. You know, California's mostly being controlled by the Democrats. Um, after they did their reform, and after they did their maps, the political demographics didn't change much in California. The Democrats still had roughly the same percentage of members of Congress, the same percentage of state legislators. They just had new legislators. And and the candidates that ran were more independent and moderate because they had to be in order to get elected in these new districts. And so the worry that some people have that, oh, You know, because some people have, you know, because I used to be a Republican chief of staff for Congressman Ray LaHood, you know, have accused me and Change of Illinois of being a Republican conspiracy. And I just laugh because if anybody would come to one of our meetings and and see the amazing diversity of our coalition, uh, that's just a joke. Uh, But uh, people worry that, you know, there's some conspiracy uh, aspect to this. There isn't. We We just really want fair, open elections. Uh, And, uh, you know, I actually very much consider myself an independent these days. Usually when I look at my ballot, I I split it almost evenly between the Democrats and the Republicans that I vote for. Um, So, you know, Jeremy and I looked at each other and smiled with that because we realized that last time.
0: We kind of compared who we voted for down the ballot, and we're like, geez, man, we're like... We didn't, have, we didn't vote for all the same we people, have one We had one disagreement. Yeah, but we pretty much aligned, and both both R's and D's on there, depending on the position. And, um, and L's. And L's? Yep, yep. yep. And some nuns, I think. Yep. I think there might have been an undervote there, here and there, too, but um, yeah, it's... <sighs> I don't know as much about U.S. history as I wish I did. Going to international school, we didn't learn U.S. history deeply. Um, But uh, something about George Washington that I respect so much is that he let go of the power that he had, where he could have, if he had had a different character, tried to establish a monarchy under him. And there might have been my understanding of it. Might have been support for him doing that, and there, I'm sure there were people telling him to do that. He gave up that power and started that American tradition, and I, I it, 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 it disappoints me. It doesn't surprise me, but it still just disappoints me when I see these types of redistricting things going on that someone's like, no, we have the power to draw the maps. We don't want to give that up to some other independent commission, even if there's a great case to be made, that it would be better for everybody. So, right? so,
1: so I got to tell you this. I, I mean, I don't mind sharing this publicly, but Change Illinois actually hired the number one Democratic polling firm in the state. Uh, and we did a very specific poll on Governor Pritzker. And the poll showed that 75% of Illinoisans supported fair maps, but more importantly, it showed that if Governor Pritzker would publicly and strongly support fair maps, that his favorability ratings would improve 33%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It still didn't make a difference. Um, I'm a big believer <coughs> that humility is one of the strongest leadership qualities. My former boss Ray LaHood would never allow staff to drive him around. He'd pump his own gas. He, 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 he voluntarily decided that he was going to leave Congress after 14 years because he believed these weren't lifetime jobs. Um, you know, I, I, I just, and and this is probably going to be the least profound thing I say today, but. Public service is about serving the public. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of elected officials lose sight of that.
0: No. No. Yeah, I I've heard it framed before just to, to kind of lean in on this again, like what's the what is the moderate position and what does it mean to respect people who differ from yeah. you? I'm curious what you guys have to say about this. Um, I think Ben Shapiro posed this paradigm that, say you're walking through a forest and you see a fence in the middle of the forest and there's no discernible purpose for that fence. The liberal's inclination is, we probably don't need this fence anymore because it doesn't seem to serve any purpose. The conservative's inclination is, I should, learn, I should try to learn more about why this fence is there because maybe someone put it up for a reason that I just don't understand. He, he uses it more as like liberals are reckless and want to break fences down without knowing what they're doing I, I don't come to the same conclusion I see value in both of those things right I have the inclination to knock the fence down I should take the time to learn more about it that's what I've learned about myself and reflecting on what the other side can teach me is I should go talk to some people who know about fences so they can teach me why those fences are um and I think that the opposite is true as well because sometimes the fence was just arbitrarily put there and doesn't need to be there anymore because in my life, in my work, sometimes there's decisions we need to make and I make them and I know like, you just had to make a decision. So we put three, four, or five here, Tyson. Uh, five sounds good. Like We don't really have a good reason, but we got to pick something. We'll pick five, we'll move ahead, we'll see how it goes. But then like 10 years later, someone's like, oh, I don't know, five's been in there for 10 years. There must be a really good reason why it was in there. It's like, well, just... We, we, we didn't have a really good reason, so we just picked one to see how it worked out. If it's not working anymore, you should get rid of it. Um, and so that's it's a dynamic of an exchange that you need to have. You need to honor the need for progress and for questioning established norms and established practices. And you also need to honor that practices in general might be
1: there for a reason. It might be working yeah, for so, a reason. So l- let me respond to that. Yeah, I'm curious you, what you think. Tyson, yeah. I mean, first of all, the fact that you're even you know, thinking that you need to consider other viewpoints is a, is a huge step. And and I think it's really important to make this point. I am 100% in favor of people being engaged in our political process. And I think the people that are liberal pro- progressives are great. I think the people that are conservative Republicans are great. My worry... Because we have a, a large group of independents in this country that also deserve to participate in our political process, mm. but our current political system doesn't really uh, allow them to uh, in, in the way that it should. So I don't, I don't think anybody's bad in this situation. I think everybody's entitled to their, their political views. You know, some of my best friends are on both sides of the spectrum, and and I love that. I love being around people that have diversity of viewpoints. Mm -hmm. I just worry with that independent group. I think a a reason why many of them don't participate is because they've been turned off. Okay. Okay. By our political. Process system, there's roadblocks where you know when they go into a, a primary voting booth they have to declare as either a Democrat or a Republican and they don't want to do that. Uh, they look at the way these legislative districts are drawn and they say, well, this isn't fair. So why should I p- participate in a political process that's not fair? Yeah. And so and so negative too, right? When when so many people are driven by anti-partisanship
0: more than being proud of what they actually are and just hatred of who they're not right i think people People should should get involved in that i think
1: people should be very proud of their political views
0: um so you're thinking more that it's a matter of people there's the people who don't vote who aren't engaged trying to make a welcome space for them in the process in the conversation um do you think that's do you think that's people forming a new party, like a third
1: option, or is it just finding more of a home in the existing options? That's a good question. I mean, you look at Adam Kinzinger and what he's been saying that, you know, about uh, creating a new lane for Republican voters that, um, you know, don't support Trump and, uh, you know, want to return to the days of Ronald Reagan, um, and... uh, so it could it could be either way, you know I wish it was easier for independent third party candidates to run mm-hmm. uh, in this country. You have to get way more signatures on petitions and uh, the raising money is harder and a lot of other things uh, you know it 's unlike uh, England, Britain where you have you know numerous uh, parties and and lots of opportunities, Um, so uh, it's a good question, Tyson, and I don't have the perfect answer for it, but I do think figuring out ways that we can get that middle majority to get more engaged in our political process uh, would be good Mm -hmm. for our country and for our state. it's funny you mentioned Kinziger, because that's actually something I said to
0: Jeremy because you, you know him, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, grew up with him, friends yeah. with him.
0: Yeah. But so when he started um, the statements he was making after uh, July 6, uh, I hadn't really paid that much attention to him before. But um, I said to you as part of that, like if if Republicans showed their principle as much as he's doing in that regard, I would have an easier time. Voting for them, uh, there's a lot of talk of principle, but then follow-up is more practical or what's expedient, right? Um, he he clearly stated his principles went against his party during a tough time. It takes a lot of strength, a lot of
1: character to do that. He, I, I I thought it was very courageous. I think Liz Cheney, same thing. Mitt Romney, and uh, you know, um, there's there's not enough, in my view, enough courage or enough statesmanship in politics these days well but here's here's the follow up I'll make to that I think part of that is
2: because the people need to support and speak out in support of those sort of acts and, and what I mean by that is um, I brought up McCain earlier you know he does the famous thumbs down on a principal vote on Obamacare, right? In in his mind, and uh, was you know just the liberal side loved John McCain for that. Look at how principled, he is. and then two weeks later makes another vote that he was still staying with his principles. That you know was against that side oh he's a total turncoat yeah. and he's public enemy number one we gotta go after him and so you had republicans that were saying ah John McCain traitor traitor to the party and then you had liberals like ah he's he's weak let's go after him and then he dies and then he's universally like oh we need more John McCains and I'm like you just attacked that dude yeah. for six months and and again I go back to we need to primary cinema we need to run against Manchin we need to go after Susan Collins we people stand out like that and take a stance and too many people make that the attack. I'm like, I wish the Democratic Party wouldn't attack those moderate ones. Go after some of the I wish the Republican Party wouldn't attack some of those. And and if it's I'm it, being Pollyanna, I know, but you mm-hmm. um, that's one of my biggest. Yeah, that's, that's not going to solve the issue. Just, you know, Mitt Romney can stand up and say, quit lying to people. He needs to have the support of the people to say, yeah, I'm with you. I well, agree. And, on
1: and, that. and so I, I really do think in Congress, that, you know, the, the next few weeks are going to be very telling. Um, because what the Senate did in passing the trillion dollar infrastructure bill on a bipartisan uh, vote was significant. Um, this is really important to the president, and so the president needs to influence Speaker Pelosi to allow a separate solo vote on the infrastructure bill. Now the progressives in the House, the AOCs of the world, are arguing that you need to have soft edge infrastructure tied to hard infrastructure, yeah. which is childcare and a bunch of other things. And I completely disagree with that. Infrastructure is road and bridges and trains. Mm-hmm. And so there should be one vote on that legislation. Then there should be a separate vote on the child care. I'm all for child care and those things. But I think it's frustrating when they try to combine... All things in in one piece of legislation. And so it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out in Washington. It's going to be very close vote-wise. But I hope Biden convinces Pelosi to allow a separate vote on his infrastructure bill in the House. and then we'll just have to see how it plays out. But, and why does that happen? It goes back to your earlier that the,
2: the people that reach across the aisle aren't there as much because uh, the reason they're attaching it to that infrastructure, they know it'll pass. And so that's the, the train leaving the station that we can attach all the goodies to, right? If, if you can argue the goodies in principle and then make inroads with the other side, some of those items were passed anyway on their own. And, and because people aren't there to do that, then we got to load up the Christmas tree bill and send it out. Well, and, we, and, and again, both sides do that.
1: Yeah, and it gives. It gives uh, and that shows rip, the breakdown. Republicans easy, easy reasons to vote against. Yeah,
0: John McCain and Mitt Romney, it's interesting that they've come up several times in this conversation because those are two of. When I start finding myself wanting to dislike someone just because they're in the other party. I think about Obama's two races and how much I was in the bubble then and just hated those two. They were just the worst. I like, couldn't imagine them getting elected. They were going to destroy the country. Just these like, soulless, sociopathic conservatives who were just going to like, defund all of our social programs and like, make war all over the world and so on and so forth. And in retrospect, I'm so embarrassed by... It. I mean, some of that was youth. I was in college and very young at the time. So, it's, you know, I didn't have, like, a nuanced perspective on things. I still, you know, I'm not even 40 yet. I'm, I'm sure that things I say now, I'm going to look 20 years back and go, oh, my gosh, I was so ignorant. But a lot of it was just making sure that you see past the spin that your media is trying to put on things because... Both of them proved themselves to be men of integrity and in principle who were running for the right reasons and um, running for love of country and would have, uh, would have been perfectly suitable uh, and presidents, even if they weren't in the, the party that I was with. So I, I keep those two in mind just to motivate me not to hate somebody who's on the other tribe. Yeah, so, so this
1: is another uh, interesting fact that very few people know. But I've had the opportunity uh, in my past to interact with uh, U.S. Supreme Court Judge uh, Anthony Scalia, who everybody thought was, and he was, the most conservative member of the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, But his best friend on the U.S. Supreme Court, and who he would go on vacations with, was Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, So think about that. Um, you know, people can be very close and good friends and respect each other, but have very different, very different views yeah. uh, of the world, legally and otherwise. Um, and not to define people
0: by that, right? Like you mentioned with your commission, um, sorry, the commission or the, the Fair Maps. Yeah, coalition. Like, coalition. Coalition. I thought I was using the wrong word. With your coalition there's a group of people who just want to try to figure out what your political party is to decide whether they like it or not. Right, yeah. Well, let's look at his track record. Oh, he worked for the Hood. Must be a Republican. I don't like it. Um, to, to bring it down locally again, when I um, when I was working on Mike Strauss' campaign, that's the responses we would get from people, especially after national elections, right? He'd, he'd go campaigning. He'd knock on a door. First question people have for him, well, who, who'd you vote for in the national election? It's like, you know, we're, ta- we're It's not necessarily irrelevant, but why is that your first question? There's so much going on locally that is completely independent of what's going on
1: nationally. Oh, I, I, like, I, you I, got I, that constantly. ran indoors. into that yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the 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 other <coughs> funny thing, and I probably shouldn't say this on the podcast, but when people were asking me about my background, and the, you know, I said I was chief of staff for Ray LaHood, uh, they thought I had said Darren LaHood. And the reaction was very different and I had to like make sure that they heard who I had said correctly. Yeah. Because um Darren's uh, leadership A little approach more conservative. <laughs> is more conservative than Ray's and and uh so um but yeah I just think people need to Chill out
0: a yeah. little bit, especially in a local <laughs> nonpartisan race. You know, people just want to graft that onto it. You know, in Bloomington, like, oh, well, well, you know, Donna Bolin and
1: Nick Becker and Sheila Montany, like those are the Republicans on there. And um, but but well, and, uh, and I and I do think this. I I think, and again, I am perfectly happy, and I believe big-picture-wise that everything happens for a reason, but I think because I was trying to run in an independent lane for normal town council in a very politically charged election mm-hmm. where people wanted you to choose sides, um, I don't think running in an in- independent lane was probably the most politically smart thing to do, but it was true to who I am as a, but, a, yeah. a, 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 a as, as a person. and uh, But... You know, people wanted you to pick sides in the normal mayor race, for sure. And uh, um, so, um, yeah, people just need to uh, allow room for people uh, to have different political beliefs and and be able to have you know not not angry, thoughtful conversations with people. Um, you had that when you ran or
2: too, right, Jeremy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, but staying on your race for just, I mean, I, I thought, I was hopeful that you were going to do better because, as Tyson and I talked, I, I thought you were the least offensive to, the, <laughs> if that makes sense, like the, well, you know, he's the moderate, so I can vote for these people and him, but I can't vote for these three because they're in the other tribe. And both tribes were saying that, that you would pick up in, you know, an open more votes, right? Um, So... So I, I was I was more hopeful
1: that the so I know
2: but you know that people talk about oh we 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 miss those moderates or we need more people like that oh. well then you have to to my earlier point mm-hmm. you have to support that mm-hmm. yeah. you have to get behind and trumpet when you see that when you see those people in the middle otherwise you are going to get the parson and then on my my race uh, I might have told the story already I know Tyson I've talked my wife and I went out uh, walking the, the district the one time. My for city council, she's a Democrat, I'm a Republican. We knock on this one door, lady says, what party are you? Well, it's a nonpartisan race. Yeah, I don't care. What party are you? Well, I'm pretty independent. Yeah, right. What? Who'd you, who'd you vote for? Well, I, I tend to lean more to the conservative side. Okay, I'm not voting for you. And my wife says, well, I'm a Democrat, and I'd vote for him. And she said, oh, you're a Democrat? I'll vote for you. And my wife was like, I'm nowhere near the candidate or nowhere near as qualified. You need to vote for him. Nope, won't vote for him. We'll vote for you. Thanks, Ed. We'll just vote for the last name. How about that? Yeah, next? it's like, if, if that's where we're at. Uh, I
1: know, yeah, I know, I know. And that's
2: local. Uh, yeah, yeah so.
1: and it, it, it is frustrating because these are supposed to be nonpartisan races. But I think there's so many examples
0: locally of uh, of people coming together then. Over, since we don't have the official lines, right? People are more likely to come together and, and form an agreement on something. What is um, the
2: liberal position on sewers? I, yeah, I missed <laughs> that. <then. laughs>
0: so, big, big government sewers, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> not small government sewers. Um, but a, a, an example I can offer that's closest near something that's close to my heart: there was a presentation by the Vision Zero transportation program where they were talking about encouraging people with safe driving habits and don't try to run yellow lights don't use your phone, stuff like that um, Jeff Crable probably the, uh, now that um, Jen Carrillo's off, you know, the most liberal person on the on the uh, town council, sorry, city council he brought up, like, what about road design? Doesn't that influence behavior? Should we focus on road design? And then Donna Bolan Probably the most conservative member. If you want to put her in the bucket, she brought up the same thing. So there, there's there's no reason why everyone needs to disagree with everything on every issue just because
1: they might be inclined to go certain ways. You can come together in certain topics. Well, and, and, and I'm going to go back to this. I mean, it's, I it's know so this road. is yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to go back to this on the national level because having good roads and bridges and t- train. Um, Good airports, you know, that is really not partisan or political, you know, at all. And I just really hope Congress can agree. And and the other thing is, if the bill passes, you know, a lot of uh, labor uh, construction people are going to have good work. Uh, It's going to help the economy. Um, There are a lot of things that we should more easily agree on. Um, You know, there's issues that are um, more controversial and are tougher to work through, but Uh there's a lot of issues that should be easier to come to a uh, compromise, a solution on. Yeah. Well, just to try to wrap
0: things up here... uh, surprise you guys with this so hopefully it's not uh, uncomfortable but uh, just curious if there's anything you're reading or listening to, books articles, podcasts uh, anything you, something you'd recommend people check out that you've been been into lately, TV shows any, any media recommendations for folks I'll go first to give you a chance to think um, <laughs> I just watched the Chernobyl uh, um, miniseries on, on HBO and um, I mean, I knew there was a disaster in Chernobyl. I did not know how recent that was. I didn't know it was in my lifetime. And uh, so then I, I read a book about it subsequently to learn more about it. If, if uh, I highly recommend the the miniseries, six episodes, if you can find a way to get some HBO at max membership and watch that thing. So fascinating. Um, both from like a human standpoint, the human toll it took, but then also the, the weaknesses that it showed in the, the communist rule, the culture of deception that it had. Uh, there's the lies that were told, and the, the fact that people weren't able to speak freely about safety issues was one of the contrib- main contributing factors to it. It would not have happened if not for the culture of deception and, and um, dishonesty that perpetuated the communist system and uh just so just on every level to me found it completely fascinating and uh just an affirmation that truth integrity you know hard truths <laughs> being being a leader who's receptive to hard truths being told and being someone with the courage to tell truth to power when things aren't right um such a great tale of that and uh also triggered a really interesting conversation with my parents because I was in I was in the Netherlands at the time I was a baby I did not know this but we were like within the range of where the radiation was coming out oh, wow. so they closed down the playgrounds like I couldn't they, they closed like you weren't allowed to play in sandboxes for periods of time because there'd be like radioactive stuff in there and um, I had I had no clue I was, uh, was 86 when that happened when I was a, a little baby there so. Um, anyway, that's what I've been thinking about: is uh, is the, the the little chunk of hell that formed in Chernobyl uh, and still kind of persists, bubbling there to this day, is absolutely just fascinating from many levels. So. Well,
2: as as usual, you're thinking way deeper than I am, and uh, <laughs> on a different path. Uh, you, you said that I haven't had a lot of time to read books recently, but um, being a little bit of a soccer fan, right? My last couple of Ted Lasso, of course. If you've oh, never watched yeah, that, it's so just kind of really funny. And how's season two going? So far? Uh, it's, I, I'm enjoying it. It's, okay. it's a good time.
0: I'm waiting for all this episodes to come out and to binge them all. I, I don't like watching one a week, but There's, is it? Is still holding up the quality? Oh
2: yeah, it's it's okay. funny. It's cool. it's good stuff. But um, then the documentary LFG, which is the um, uh, U.S. Women's National Team, and it kind of talks about the whole uh, equal pay and the them suing U.S. Soccer, and okay, um, it, fascinating. Like I obviously know and. Tied into that a little bit, and know some of the backstories that didn't come in, but um, man, just learned a ton. Really interesting, and then really with the high or with against the backdrop of the Olympics and and some of the stuff coming out now, you're mm-hmm. it's rather it it. I would watch it. It's a really good one. I think that's on HBO Max or something. LFG, it's, like, it's out, called Yeah, what stands for Let's Something Go. Oh Okay, which All was right. the chant, you know? Let's when, have
0: fun and go. Yes, yeah, yeah. something yeah. like that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> let's let's. Let's go. So, okay. All right. But really, really, I mean, really good. Really goes. They had cameras in depth going with Megan Rapinoe with Saubron with uh, Carly Lloyd with all of uh, all of them going through Alex Morgan um, the lawsuits the negotiations the timeline the as they're competing it it's just it, really well done I thought so.
1: cool so uh, my husband Jason and I are binging on. Uh, a Netflix series called Atypical and my uh, my husband, Jason, is the new principal of Metcalf Elementary School. He's also getting a master's in special education degree from ISU, where he's also an adjunct professor. He's got four master's degrees and a PhD, so uh, he's, he loves to learn. Uh, but <laughs> No a- spare time, apparently. But uh, Atypical is about uh, a young boy that's on the autism spectrum and... and Uh, goes through his life uh, and for I'm a father of four children I wish this series would have been around when my kids were growing up because it's funny it's a comedy but it's very realistic about um, a young man who's trying to make it through high school and college uh, that's on the autism spectrum Uh, and uh, the acting is great uh, but uh, I think it's something that just is good it's not only fun but it teaches you to be more compassionate uh and uh, so that's yeah. what that's what we're watching these days cool thanks for recommendation
0: and i also wanted to thank monica Bullington for the recommendation she gave for the book surrounded by idiots uh, it's a it's a funny name but it's about personality theory and uh Kind of four general personalities. And basically, the title comes from the fact that if when you work with someone who's not of your personality, you just assume they're an idiot. You don't realize they're just a different kind of person. So, so it wasn't because Justin and me and you. And yeah. I was, okay. I was trying to figure out how to have a better <laughs> podcast episode with you two. No, I'm just um, but that was really helpful to me. Actually, I, I recommend that one a lot. Um, it's kind of like Pace Palette, where there's four different ones, but yeah. helped me realize some of the work conflicts I was having. Uh, Especially with like stress with COVID, you personalities can get exaggerated under stress, right? And so uh, it's a good time to kind of step back and reflect of like, how am I acting? Am I getting the response back from people? And how can I kind of lean in a bit to their perspective to try to help us all do better together? So, um, so thanks, Monica, for that. Appreciate it. And thank you both for coming out. This was very fun. Had a good time. Yeah, it was great. great thanks. thanks. Good luck with all your endeavors. Appreciate it.